I pray that you have had a great week this week. Amen? Amen. A great week. Maybe some of you have not had so great of a week, and that's one of the reasons we're doing this series. Because sometimes we find ourselves not having the best of weeks. Sometimes we find ourselves having struggles, and we find ourselves having difficulties in life. Because, you know, past... um, Past the I do, yes, Lord, I want to follow you, there are going to be times of struggle. There are going to be times of difficulty, and there are going to be times that stretch us. Anybody ever been through a time of stretching? Yeah, we're going to face those times. In just a little bit, we're going to be in the, in the New Testament, in the second half of the Bible, in the book of 2 Corinthians. But before we do that, I just wanted to, to read a passage of Scripture, and then uh, we want to we read something together, and I want to read something um, from, from, my, from, from the NIV to, to preface this. This is what Paul said. He said, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we've, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand for those of us that are believers we've come to know Christ through faith not through our works or through anything else and he said and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God Um, and then there's the memory verse you know with a series like this we've come up with a memory verse because I think it's it's really important for us to have a a memory verse for this series because um, you want to have something that you can hold on to that when you're walking through a time that you can't seem to put the pieces of the puzzle together I want you to have something from the scripture that you can hold on to that you can go back to to say okay God man I just ain't got a handle on things and the Lord will bring this passage of scripture back to you and it'll be a, something to hold on to and so we sort of come up with a, a passage of scripture that I feel like will be something that you can use when you face those times that you just don't know which way to turn. So Derek, when you're in that time, whichever that time may be, this is a passage of scripture that you can go back to that Paul wrote that says, listen, I want you to understand that the sufferings and the struggles that you may be going through, that they're not for anything, but they are leading you towards something. And I want you to, I want you to, to, to repeat this with me this morning and I'll, let's do this at least once and maybe twice because this is what Paul said and we can we can do this out loud can you guys do this out loud with me can you do that okay, okay. all right let's do this out loud it says this Paul said we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop our endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Now let's read that one more time. And as we read that, I want you to sort of, let's read it just a little bit slower. And then I'm going to call out some of you. I'm going to ask you what it's saying. So I'm just going to point to you, okay? Is that okay? So I won't call your name, I'll just sort of point. And you just sort of go, me? And I'll go, yeah, that's you. Everybody has to go to the bathroom at the same time, right? 
Let's read it together. I'm, I, I won't do you. Some of you won't. I won't do you like that. Others that I do know, I will do you like that. But no, let's read it together. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Now stop just a second. Now how many of you already have a couple of things that have come to your mind? You're talking about rejoicing, problems and trials. You've got to be kidding me. Who in the world is this guy, Paul, telling me that I can rejoice too when I run into problems and trials? I don't think so. Let's continue on. For we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. It's taken us somewhere. Are you with me? It's taken us somewhere. Um, if you've never found yourself on a boat in the middle of a storm, you just don't know what you're missing. I mean, if, you've, if you go fishing or if you go scalloping or if you just want to go to Jim's small group, <laughs> if you're on a boat long enough, somewhere along the line, you're probably going to end up on the boat in the midst of the storm. And it's not a fun place to be. Not at all. I mean... I can remember several times that I've been out on the boat in the midst of a storm. Not a fun place to be. And you know what? In life, there are going to be times that we're going to find ourselves in a storm. It's not a fun place to be, but you know what? The longer you live, there's the more opportunities, people. And you know what? There's sometimes you just can't avoid it. You're with me? See, there are sometimes we put ourselves in the midst of the storm. Hello? There are sometimes we find ourselves in the midst of the storm, and we didn't have anything to do with it. It just happened to blow in in the, in the spur of the moment, and you find yourself, and you don't have a clue what to do, or where to go, or where to anchor up. It's a mess. And you know, when you, in the midst of those times, not only they are they unavoidable but sometimes in the midst of those storms they can leave us feeling so discouraged and defeated but but you know what over the years I, I have I've been privileged to meet some people that have walked with the Lord for for a season for a period of time and you know what I happen to have found found out is is I've met some of these people that they've that they viewed the storms not as as just a difficulty but they've come to the conclusion that in the midst of the storm, that, that God might just be up to something, Gail. And maybe that, maybe the storm, maybe there's a purpose in the pain and the suffering. That's hard. That instead of becoming angry and bitter and walking away, that maybe, just maybe, God was up to something that they couldn't see. You know, I, I had a friend um, that I have, a family that I had the privilege of meeting when I was in college. Uh, Big John was his name. Big John was Big John because Big John was big. Big John was about six foot seven. He weighed about 270 pounds. 
he had a big knot on his head. And um, he had a knot on his head because one story I heard, I don't know if it's true or not, is he had gotten a knot from a beer bottle when somebody hit him in a bar one night, and that knot was there and it stayed there. But Big John came to know the Lord later on in life. And uh, it was nothing for Big John to sit down and cry big tears as he talked about Jesus and he talked about his relationship with the Lord. And, and I remember when I had met Meredith down in Punta Gorda uh, the summer that I had served uh, as a youth pastor down there when I was in college, um, when I was at Stetson. And I had invited Big John and Norma to come down and spend the time. And I think it was the first time that they had been out of the state of Georgia. I don't think they had ever been out. I mean, this is, these are country folks. I mean, these are plain country folks. Is there a picture up there, Big John? Yeah, you see Big John. I mean, see, you see that pine wall up there? When, when Jimbo and, and, and John, or Jim, Jimbo and, and Russell would get in trouble, you see those pine knots? There's knots on those, on those walls. Big John would find a knot that was just above their reach, and he'd make them stick their nose in that knot. Are you with me? Those of you that know what discipline is, he'd make them find a, a knot that was just above, and they had to stand on their tippy toes to put their nose in that knot. And if they got their nose out of that knot, they'd get a swat. So anyway, <clears throat> but I, I asked the Big John, why don't you come down? Why don't you and Norma come down and and spend time. And so they traveled all the way down like, a, like the Beverly Hillbillies coming down to, to South Florida. And on a Wednesday night, I gathered the kids around and John shared his testimony and just tears and tears of what Jesus had done in his life. I never seen a bunch of young people um, gravitate to a senior adult like that. But they knew that he was different. Um, it's a little bit later that I, I had gotten a phone call that John had, had cancer. And John never questioned what God was doing. He always knew that God had something bigger. And then as he got down later in the stages, because it moved pretty quickly, um, I had talked to Norma, his wife, and she said, Sid, she said, I just want to tell you things are are moving pretty fast, and, and she said, I want to tell you. She said, I want to tell you what John's doing. He's taking a list, and he's written out a list of all the the names of people that he used to hang out in bars, people that he's worked with over the years that he know that that he knows that don't know the Lord, and, uh, and now that he's bedridden, he said, "I'm his personal secretary, and my responsibility is to call these people." Um, and to set up meetings with them. And he has so many appointments in the morning and so many appointments in the afternoon. She said he brings them in and he talks to them and he tries to sort of just see where they are and what's going on in their life. And he said he always ends up, every conversation, you know, I'm in the bed. I know my time is short. But I know that where I'm going when I die. Because I know where I place my faith. And he shared his testimony. 
And he'd always end up by saying, I know where I'm going to die. I know where I'm going when I die. But do you know where you're going? Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And you know, during, those, during that season of his life before he passed away, John, John never outwardly questioned his struggle. I know that there had to be some inward struggles that he dealt with, but outwardly there was never any struggle that we could see. But he knew and he believed that God had a, a bigger plan for his life. And, and Norma said that during that season of his life, many people came to know the Lord. Many people. And, you know, when we face difficulties, it's really easy to come to the conclusion that somebody's out to get you or, you know, God's, God's displeased with you or God's mad with you or, you know, or, or um, you know, or just come up with all these different excuses. But have you ever thought that maybe, maybe, just maybe, God might be up to something? Do you ever, do you ever view things from that perspective? Have you ever thought that maybe God not only might be allowing something, but, but God might be doing something on purpose, and his greatest work might lie ahead? Now, last week we said that, you know, what do we do when we find ourselves in a situation that we don't know what way to, which way to turn? You know, what do we do when we find ourselves and we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel? And what do we do when we find ourselves in a situation that, that seems hopeless, hopeless, and it might revolve around your marriage, and it might deal with your job, it might deal with a, something going on with your children or your parents, or, you know, it might have something to do even with your health, and it might be something that's, that doesn't necessarily lead towards death, but it might deal with something that leads towards debilitation. I mean, it may put you in the bed, or it might put you in a wheelchair. And so what do you do when you find yourself at that time? And all of a sudden, life is planned, as you planned it, is out the window. You know, and, and instead of, of dealing with things from a perspective of anger and resentment, blaming other people and blaming God, you know, what do you do? What do you do when you find yourself at that place? Because see, some of you if not most of us in this room, have found ourselves at that place. See, some of us in this room are runners. Some of us in this room are excuse makers. See, some of us in this room are blamers. Some of us in this room are accusers. But what do we do in those times of difficulty? Some people turn to the alternatives. You know, they turn to the alternatives and as a source of, of, of dealing with the pain, of dulling the pain, and in the midst of that, only creating more tension and prolonging the inevitable. And you know, when you read the scriptures, there are so many stories of people that faced issues just like we face. That faced stuff just like we face, and, in, and instead of responding the way that they may have wanted to respond, they continued to believe and they continued to hold on in, in spite of the fact that they felt that God was distant. And you know what happened? 
What happened in their faith is they, 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 grew, they grew in their faith and they grew in their belief and they grew in their understanding of God. And their faith grew stronger. I mean, one of the one of the stories right off the top of my mind is the disciples themselves. I mean, where were they? Where did they go in the, in the midst of the garden? I mean, here is they had walked with Jesus for a period of time. And, and what do we see happening in the midst of the garden when Jesus was praying? And here, right in the midst of the arrest, what did they do? They scattered. They ran. And yet, what would happen in the lives of those men later on? They would, how many of those would give their lives for the Lord? Because they were willing to hold on. I want you to turn over today to 2 Corinthians in the second part of the Bible. And for those of you that are here that maybe aren't really used to, uh, to, to finding a, your way through the Scriptures, this would be the, the second half. If you're here and you don't have a Bible, we'll have maybe the passages on the screen for you. This would be in the second half, what we call the New Testament, the second part. Um, the book of or the, the letter, 2 Corinthians, was written by Paul. And it was written to the church at Corinth, to the believers there. Um, it's a, an amazing passage of Scripture. Inside of this passage of Scripture, we're going to see something that Paul has to say. But to tell you just a little bit about Paul, before Paul was Paul, Paul was Saul, and he was a persecutor of believers. But on, a, on his way to persecute believers on, on the road to Damascus, he had an encounter with the Lord, and that encounter completely changed his life. He went from a persecutor, from a persecutor of believers, of Christians, and desiring to throw them in jail and see them uh, persecuted to, to planting churches and to a man of faith. And so we see Paul's life radically changed. And Paul himself never, never, um, never had a chance of walking with the Lord personally while he was here on this earth. Um, but Paul had an opportunity. Most of his information came uh, as he talked with people personally who knew Jesus but Paul's life was radically changed on an encounter that he had that day. Um, and, and sometime after this encounter, sometime after his surrender, sometime after he bowed his knee and he said, Lord, I, I will follow you. And we don't know exactly when it was, but sometime after that, something happened in his life that was debilitating. Something happened in his life that... Um, it was a sickness, it was a disease, we really don't know exactly what it was, but it was a hindrance that, that caused an issue in his ministry. And it was something that, that it, was so, it was so specific in his life that Paul wrote about it, and we're going to read about it today. Um, and, and, he, and he wrestled with it. And see, Paul was honest enough, I mean, here he is talking about it, but how many of us have wrestlings and things that we've got going on in our lives you know, Wes, that we don't even tell anybody about. We don't even tell our spouse about it, much less anybody else. And that's exactly what the enemy himself wants us to do. He wants us to wrestle. He wants us to, to wrestle with that amongst our, you know, just by ourselves. He, he desires for us to be isolated because if he has us isolated, he can defeat us. But here's Paul and the authenticity of his life, and he, is he right, saying, man, listen, I want, to, I want to share this story with you. Because up until this time, I've had an opportunity to boast about an awful lot of stuff. Man, God's done a lot of things in my life. There's a lot of things that I've seen, a lot of things that I've experienced. But he said, I want to tell you about something that God has done. I want to talk to you about it. 
Because it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, this is what Paul has to say as we, as we talk about this issue that, that Paul himself dealt with. He said, even though I had received such wonderful revelations from God, you know, all these things that Paul had experienced, he said, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given. Now, inside of this, I want to tell you, there's a, there's a purpose that's happening here. And that word given in the Greek is a, is a very specific word that dealt with a gift that was given, a positive gift that was given. It, it's associated with a gift. In other words, um, a Christmas gift, a birthday gift, something that you're given that you look forward to, something that you appreciate, something that you go, wow, man, you know, this is exciting. And it was a gift with a purpose. And so he says, even though I have received such a wonderful revelation from God, so to keep me, or in order to, your NIV may say, from becoming proud, I was given a gift there. <laughs> and look at what he says. I wonder what kind of gift he was given. A thorn. A thorn. A thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Now, when I start thinking about gifts, the last thing that I'm going to think is a gift is a thorn. Now, with hunting season, John Johnson, what's on the top of your, your gift list? Huh? A big what? A big deer? Man, I thought you might say something like a big bow and arrow or something, or a new gun, or a, you know, but you just want the big deer. It's been a long time since you killed one, isn't it, brother? Yeah. I just want to remind you about that. So listen, if you've got a nice piece of property you'd like to share with John, John's a man in want. He's a man in desire. He's a man in need. So John would like to be able to kill one. So a gift for John would be a nice little hunting trip, right? And so, um, so anyway, so I mean, a thorn is not, on the top of my, is not on the top of my gift list. I mean, with hunting season close by, you know, fishing going on, you know, birthdays and things. I mean, I can think of a lot of other things beside a thorn, you know, when I got a thorn in my finger the other day, I didn't come in and go, oh my goodness gracious, look guys, look at the gift I was just given. And you know what, if you, if you, if you happen to leave a thorn in long enough, you know what ends up happening? It becomes infected. A messenger from Satan sent to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Now that word torment there literally means to to take something and beat up, to strike with a fist. <laughs> and listen to what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that this gift was given to him to help him keep from thinking too much of himself. Okay. So he's got a thorn that was given to him as a gift to help him from thinking too much of himself. And it worked him over day by day, by day. Now, isn't that what we all need? Don't you need a gift like that? A, a gift that would just work you over day by day to remind you just what you ain't. To keep you from becoming proud. Just to remind you. A messenger from Satan to torment me. And to keep me from becoming proud. Now some people think that Paul might have been saying here that it was Satan that did it. And God used what Satan did. Now others think it was maybe just a figure of speech like 
It hurt like the devil. Now, I don't really know what it means, but this is what I do know is that whatever it was, that it wasn't going away. It was there. It was a thorn, and it caused pain, and it reminded him, and it kept him from thinking too much of himself. Maybe you've got a thorn like that. And we can speculate as to what it was. Some people say depression. Other people say malaria. Some people say it was his eyesight. Epilepsy, I I really don't know. But whatever it was, whatever condition it was, whatever thorn it was, whatever issue it was, was enough that it was debilitating, it was consistent, it was embarrassing, and it was humbling. Now you would think that Paul, who had this life-changing experience that was serving the Lord, that was doing all this great work, all these missionary experiences, that you would think that this would have happened prior to the transformation so that he would see Jesus. Not after, right? I mean, wouldn't you think that something like this would happen prior to so that he would look towards the Lord instead of after? Because after it would seem that this would keep him from following and continuing to do what the Lord had set out for him. But that's not what happened here. It was afterwards. It surfaced after his commitment to Christ. But after Paul realized the issue wasn't going away, he he did the same thing that you and I do all the time. Look at what he says in verse 8. Three times he said, I begged the Lord to take it away. Three times. Paul did the exact same that you and I have done from time to time. I mean, this is the guy that wrote some two-thirds of the New Testament. And he begged the Lord to take it away. And I don't think this was a... You know, Lord, if you, if, if you don't mind, would you please just sort of take this away? Because this is really starting to bother me. I don't think it was that type of a thing. Wanda, I think this was a, Lord, can you please, can you please, Lord, I, I beg you, I plead with you, would you please take this away? I think this was a time of desperation. I think this was a crying out, pleading to the Lord to change the circumstance, to change the situation to change the pain. And it says three different times, which leads me to believe there were three separate instances where he went before the Lord and he was crying out that there was, if I don't get no relief, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to die. And it was almost like the pain subsided. And it was almost like a migraine. You guys ever had a migraine headache? And it was almost like you fall asleep and whoo. And then you sort of forget about it. And then it just comes back again. It was three times this happened. Three times. God, I just can't take it any longer. I can't write, I can't preach, I can't travel. I can't go on unless you remove this. You know, what's interesting is it wouldn't surprise me that if some of us in this room, and we've been there, we've been inside of those environments before where some people have probably told 
us and you've maybe been told before that the reason that you're going through the struggles and continuing to go through the struggles that you have is that you don't have enough faith. I was just in a conversation the other day and somebody said the reason I was told that I struggle with this issue is because I don't have enough faith. Was that Paul's problem? I don't think so. Paul had probably more faith than all of us in this room put together. So there's a man of great faith begging God, crying out to him, asking God to remove it. And yet, for whatever the reason, pleading God to help. And then in verse 9, it says, each time he said, and this is the point that, you know, it's really so easy for us to get stuck. Because how many of us have said before, God, if I can just hear your voice, if I can just know that you're there, God, if I can just know you hear me, I'll be able to make it. But what God spoke to Paul wasn't. What he wanted to hear, neither is it what we want to hear. Because, look at what he says. My grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient. See, in the midst of this thorn and this problem and this issue that you're facing, my grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient. My power works best in Weakness. You may to put it to you in simple terms, what God said to Paul was this. Nope. I'm not going to take it away. I'm not going to remove it. But see, Paul, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you something that you don't deserve. I'm, I'm going to give it to you, and inside of that, there's strength and power. And I'm going to give you that because the pain and the suffering is not going to go away. Even though you're doing everything that you should be doing, even though you're obeying me to the letter of the law, Paul, I'm not going to remove it. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to remove your circumstance. I'm not going to remove the thorn. I'm not going to ease the pain. But it wasn't just a no, but it was a no with a promise, but my grace is all you need. My grace is all that you need. So what do you do when you're doing everything that you can to serve the Lord, to follow Him, to obey Him, and you hear God's voice and God speaks to you, Tom and and God says, no, Tom, I'm not going to remove that from you. But Tom, my grace is sufficient. My grace is all you need. And in my, my power, Tom, I want you to know it works best in weakness. What do you do when God says, no, I'm not going to take it away. I'm not going to take the pain and suffering away. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you grace. What are you going to do at that moment? I mean, are you going to turn and, and walk away? 
Are you going to come up with all these excuses? Are you going to become nasty and bitter? I've seen some people like that. I've seen more than my share of people like that. People that blame God, that also blame other people for everything and everything else. And then he goes on to say, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul says, listen, all right, God, since you're not going to take it away, you're not going to remove the suffering, and since you're not going to take away the thorn, since people are going to see me and wonder and know that you and I have got this thing going on and know that I've got a relationship with you and know that I trust you, and they're going to look at me and wonder why God hasn't or why you didn't, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to take the circumstances that I'm living inside of, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to move above it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to recognize that in my weakness, God's strength will be made perfect. That when people see me and I'm walking through whatever it may be, that they'll see the power of Christ working in my life. I can't, but he can. That the power of Christ will suffer, uh, will, will surface, and all of a sudden it will become up front and center. And people will see me and they'll see what I'm facing and they'll all of a sudden go, man, where in the world? How in the world are you making it through? And only Jesus. Only Jesus. Christ in me. Christ in me. In other words, in order for me to experience God's grace, the grace that he's promised in the midst of the circumstance... I can't run, and I can't excuse, but I have to embrace it. I can't ignore it. I can't make excuses, but I have to embrace it. That's where the authenticity comes in. Paul didn't ignore it. He embraced it. I mean, this is so important because how many times are, are we walking through life and facing those things that are unfixable or unchangeable, or we face those circumstances that we didn't cause, or we didn't start, or we didn't implement, or the situations that might be embarrassing, and it's so easy to blame, and it's so easy to, to accuse, or like we said earlier, to go into hibernation, or to not tell the truth or to crawl into a box, or to withdraw. And that's exactly the place that the enemy would love for us to be. But Paul said no. That in my weakness is in those times that I will experience the greatness of God's power. And Paul said that when he was wading through the emotions and, and when, he, when he waded through the emotions and the excuses and when he embraced his situation, that at those moments are the times that he experienced the greatness of God's power.
See, some of you right now are thinking about situations where you've blown it because instead of it bracing and, and identifying and saying, man, this is, okay, God, what are you doing? And, and Lord, what is it you want me to see? And okay, God, in this, I'm going to trust you. I don't understand it. This doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But God, okay, I'm going to trust that you're involved in this. What you've done is you've run or you've blamed it on somebody else and you've not seen it as God being involved in and here God's wanting to use it, not only in your life to, to grow you in your faith, but he's also wanting to use it in the lives of multitudes of other people on the outside who are watching you because you claim to know Jesus. And you claim to know Jesus and they want to see Jesus in your life. See, you claim to know Jesus and they want to see, if you really know Jesus, they want to see Jesus alive and at work. See, Jared, if you claim to know Jesus, they want to see Jesus alive and at work in the midst, not only in the great times, man, when look, when everything's going great, they want to see Jesus alive and at work when things aren't going so great. Are you with me? We have a way of putting Jesus on the shelf in those times, don't we? Catch up with me here. See, that's the time that sometimes we just we give up and we want to run and we, we disappear for a period of time. But Paul said, no. No. I mean, who in the world wants to be ex exposed to tragedy and suffering? Nobody does. And he ends up by saying, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. You want to read some of the troubles and the sufferings that Paul read through? Go back and read chapter 11 and see some of the difficulties that, that he experienced. Man, that joker went through some stuff. Don't talk to me about, man, well, I ran out of gas yesterday. It was such a difficult time. It was a tough time. Like, you know, my kid, my kid made a bad grade at school. You know, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if they're going to pass or fail. He went through difficulty. And he said, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And everything hinges on that phrase that we saw up front. So, so to keep me or in order to, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh to remind me, to remind me. And here it is that God has a purpose and he has a reason. And for God to fulfill that purpose, he has given me a thorn as a gift. And for me to be able to see what I need to see, I have to embrace that gift as, an, as a gift, not as an enemy. To embrace the gift and not reject the gift. But we all have an option. Life is about options. Life is about choices. It's about perspectives and attitudes. And you can view the difficulties in life as difficulties, as inconveniences, or you can say, maybe, just maybe, God is up to something and maybe he's wanting to do something in my life. I wonder if God's got a purpose. Because I know he's got a promise. I wonder if God's up to something. But his promise is that his grace is sufficient. See, say that with me. His grace is sufficient 
One more time, his grace is sufficient. And I don't know whatever it is you may be going through. I have no clue what you may be going through. Some of you, I know what you've been through. Business has been down, spouses left, kids are in disarray. Um, I mean, finances are off the chart. I mean, I can, I can, I can, I know, I know. His grace is sufficient. For in your weaknesses, his power is perfect. See, you're on display. Your life is on display. The, the power of Christ is on display every day. Every day. Jerry, when you're out and you're about, the power of Christ is display, is on display in your life. It is. It's just the way it is. You know, Chris, man, listen, the power of Christ is on display in your life. Every day. What happens if we're able to press through and hold on? What if there's what if there's something at the end of that pressing through? What if there is peace at the end? What if there is courage at the end? For those of you that somebody told you you're struggling because you don't have enough faith, I want to take you back to the story of Jesus in the garden. I remind you in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 22, Jesus himself faced a similar situation when he is right before that time and he's wrestling with the Lord and he's wrestling over what's getting ready to happen right before he's being arrested. And, he, and he, he walked away about a stone's throw, it said in the scriptures. And he knelt down and he prayed. And this is what Jesus prayed. Father, if you're willing, which means if you want to, I know you can make it happen. Please take this cup of suffering from me. But God, if you're willing, which means that if you want to, you can. But if you choose to say no, that you also can. And this is the key. It's not my will, but your will be done. That's hard. It's not my will, but your will be done. See, I don't want to have to go back and face some of the struggles in life that I have faced. But can I tell you that it's in the midst of those struggles that I have learned some things that nothing else can teach me. There's no Bible study. There's no seminary. There's nobody else can teach me. You can't tell me your story and teach it to me. But there's some things that I've learned about the Lord and walking through some times of difficulty that I understand some things that prior to that you could have told me, but I didn't understand, but I understand now. You know, and the great news is this. If God chooses to remove it, he can remove it. He can remove the thorn. He can remove the difficulty. God can change the circumstance. You know what the not so good news is? He may not choose to. That's hard. That's hard. Aren't you glad that our Heavenly Father that night in the garden chose to say no? 
because as a result of his no, we today have life. God's sustaining, sustaining grace begins with not my will, Lord, but yours be done. God, this really isn't about me. This is really about you. So not my will, Lord, but your will be done. So God, whatever it is that you want to do, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. My grace is sufficient for you. That my power will be made perfect in your weakness. And Jesus said, my grace, it's all you need. It's all you need. Would you bow your heads? With our heads bowed today, um, those of you that are believers that are here today, there might be some of you that are presently struggling. And um, you're just, you're in that place. You're, you're like Paul where that thorn is pressing in. And there's a deep sense of pain. And you're saying, I, I, I just don't know how I can go on any, any longer. And today you've got to make a choice. Are you going to run? Are you going to make an excuse? Are you going to embrace your circumstance? Only you can make that choice. And you're here today and you say, I really need you to pray for me. Over the next couple of minutes, I believe there should be some cards in front of you. And if you're at that place and you'd like to, for us to pray for you. Um, we do that often, very often, during our staff times on Monday morning. If you want to write your name on one of those cards and just say, you don't have to tell him, tell us what it is. Just say, man, I'm being pressed on. Would you pray for me? And I promise you that as a staff, tomorrow morning we'll pray for you. But I'd even like to be able to pray for you this, this morning but to know and be able to pray for you personally, I'd like for you to, before you leave today, if you would, if you just write your name on that card. But if you're here today and you'd like for me just to be able to pray for you, for strength, I'm being pressed on right now and I'm struggling. And I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm just, I'm really at a, at a place and I, I need to em, embrace. I'm at a place of making a choice. God said No. And I'm struggling. And I want the strength to be able to embrace. And I want to experience the strength that comes in the midst of this time of my weakness. I want to experience God's grace.
If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Anybody? Several hands all around the place. I just want to be able to pray with you. And Father, for these that have raised their hands, the reality is, is that life is very difficult and it's so easy for us to live ourselves in, in glass houses. Um, afraid, fearful, what others may think or what others may say. But inside the body of Christ, the reality is this, that we will face difficulties and struggles, but we don't have to be afraid because in our weaknesses, you're strong. In our authenticity, Father, would you remove the fear from us and in that time of weakness, allow us to see and gain boldness and courage. And Father, to see what, what, what we may consider to be of great detriment for you to use it for great for great glory, for your glory. That in those times of, of what we consider to be tremendous amounts of, of weakness, that, Father, that you would come to the forefront in the midst of it all. And, God, that, that, that you would be put on stage and, and we would be able to see you and your greatness. Father, we don't deserve your grace, but you give it. You give it freely, and you gave it freely at Christ's expense on the cross. Father, I pray for these that have lifted their hands today and whatever it is. Father, as we um, are going about our day today, that we'd be mindful to pray and be watchful for those around us that may be struggling. And Lord, there may be some here, some here that don't know you, that, that are that have, have never been introduced to Christ and, and are just not familiar with the sufferings of Christ. But the gospel is that Jesus Christ, God's Son, that God loved us so much that he sent his only Son to die on a cross for us. And the Scripture teaches us that God loved us, that he gave us his Son, and that his Son would die on a cross for our sins. But Jesus just wouldn't stay in a grave, but he was resurrected on that third day. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. And Father, in the midst of life, for us to come to that place and in our lives to recognize our sin and that our sin separates us from God and there's not anything that we can do to save ourselves. I mean, Paul himself identified that this, all of us are sinners. And the price of sin is death and separation. But the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, that whosoever believes, whosoever believes shall be saved. That Jesus died on a cross, that he was resurrected from the dead. And so if you're here today and, and you're really struggling and you don't know Jesus, I'd love to tell you it was as simple, to be as simple as just praying a prayer, but I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you it's this, it's it's recognizing that you can't save yourself and crying out to God and saying, God, I need help. I need you to save me. And would you even do that right now? And to say something like, Jesus, save me. I need you. I need you. And I want to begin my walk in my journey. I want to learn more what it means to be a Christ follower. I want to learn what it, it means 
means to, 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 to read the scripture and to, and to pray and to, and to learn to live like Jesus lived. And if that's you today and you want to become a Christ follower, even after this service, you come and you see me. You identify with me saying, I want to follow Jesus because I'd love to talk to you about that. Father, as we walk out these doors today, remind us that people are watching it. The greatest opportunity for, for us to be your ambassadors are not on Sunday mornings between the hours of 10.30 to 11.30, but it's that 24-7 that we live. That Jesus is always out front. Our lives are always out front and people are watching. May we just not claim to to be Christ followers, but may we live as Christ followers. And may we not be afraid that in our times of weakness, in those times that our thorns are very evident, that in our weaknesses that we can be strong through Christ in me. Help us be reminded this next week that our greatest testimony may come at the weakest of moments. Help us to not be afraid. Father, help us to... um, practice our faith in our homes, help us to practice our faith at work, and help us to practice our faith on the ball fields. Help us to realize that people around us are looking, they're desiring to know more about Jesus and more about God. Help us to always be willing and ready to give an answer to that hope that lies within us. Again, I'm reminded, Father, for those of us that are struggling, may we be reminded this week that we don't have to run any longer, but we can identify and accept and do just exactly what Paul did. We can recognize, we can accept, and we can embrace because it's embracing that situation, that circumstance that we might be facing that we can come to receive and experience God's grace and understand that his grace is sufficient. Thank you, Father. I believe our greatest work is ahead of us. Now may we go be your ambassadors. In Jesus' name, amen.